በደቡብ ክልል በሲዳማ ዞን ጭሬ ወረዳ ሐሊሉ መቀል የገበሬ ማህበር ውስጥ ቦይስ ኦፍ አሜሪካ ኢን ከማይ ሶስላይ ፕሬይመጨቴ ሜትራይ ንክንካፕሳይ This is the Voice of America, Washington DC, signing off. Welcome to Joe's Media Corner. This week we're talking about Voice of America and a very serious issue involving slanted coverage and misleading news from what is essentially the Voice of the United States on United States News. The service that many may not know about has been around since World War II when Franklin Roosevelt started it to make sure that accurate information was sent overseas to other countries, both US residents there and foreign residents and citizens. But in recent months since the Trump administration took over, there've been several incidents of outright slanted reporting, conflicts of interest, and an effort to really make the news imbalanced and conform to a certain conservative even ultra right voice. And this is something that's very serious and may get worse as President Trump seeks to appoint someone to oversee these services who doesn't have the background or frankly the credibility needed. We're going to talk to Elizabeth Williamson from the New York Times. She had a great front page story in last Thursday's paper talking about several incidents that show the problem and how it might even get worse if people don't take a look and stop what could ruin a very valuable and important piece of democratic news coverage. So we're going to get to that in one minute, but of course I want to remind you that my book is out, Killing Journalism, How Greed, Laziness and Donald Trump are Destroying News and How We Can Save It. That's from Willow Street Press, available at amazon.com or ask your local bookstore to order it. Check it out as soon as you can. And of course, always our sponsor, Jiminy's Dog Treats. Jiminy's makes a delicious treat that uses cricket protein. Yes, cricket protein is better than beef or chicken because it's sustainable and better for the environment. Check out Jiminy's at jiminy's.com, J I M I N Y S. Com. And now let's go to our interview with Elizabeth Williamson. And Elizabeth, are you there? Hey, Joe. I'm here. Good to talk to you. Of course, Elizabeth Williamson, you are a feature reporter at the New York Times, but that's only the latest in your long career covering and, and opining on a lot of things. But we want to talk to you about a great story that was on the front page of the New York Times on Thursday, talking about Voice of America and it being maybe the latest place where the Trump administration is having possibly negative influence by putting people in charge who maybe aren't the most balanced and news-oriented people. First, tell us, what is Voice of America for people who may not be familiar with exactly who runs it and what its job is? Sure. Voice of America is kind of near and dear to me because I used to be a reporter in Eastern Europe and uh, I used to run across their reporters quite a lot since that's one of their target areas. So Voice of America is part of the U.S. Agency for Global Media, which used to be or also known as the Broadcasting Board of Governors. So they supervise five different networks that are kind of America's voice abroad. And Voice of America is the flagship of the five. But There's also Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty, the Middle East Broadcasting Network and a few others. 
so. But Voice of America is far and away the most prominent. And they are basically speaking to Americans overseas or everyone overseas about America, or is there a U.S.-based audience? They typically um, are heard in countries that don't have a great tradition of freedom of the press. So their quality and adherence to ethics and journalistic standards is even more important because they're in places that aren't necessarily getting a fair and free press. Exactly. Yeah, as Amanda Bennett, who is the director of Voice of America, puts it, they export the First Amendment into places that are not protected by similar statutes. And about how large you think their audience is and which countries maybe get the most out of it? Altogether, they have a weekly audience of about 365 million people in 100 countries. That's it's more than the entire population of the U.S. So that's that's substantial. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they have quite a broad reach, and they have you know the areas that they focus on are kind of the ones you would expect. You know, Russia is a big point of focus for them. China. What they've tried to do because they're blocked in a lot of areas, and um, their signals are jammed, and their journalists are banned, and that type of thing, or they're harassed. So what they've done also is to try and focus on people who speak those languages in the diaspora. So their Russian service will focus on Russian speakers wherever you might find them. But they also broadcast into Cuba, TV and Radio Marti. It um, come out of the office of Cuba Broadcasting, which is based in Miami. They're basically giving a lot of news to Cuba, which, as we know, has very tight controls on its information. And they report on what America is doing, or do they report on the locations that they're in as well? Uh, they do a mix. So... The idea is that they are an actual news network. Of course, they're carrying news of American policy and of the country itself and our, you know, political and our political happenings and just our lives here. But they're also covering news in the countries where they are heard and where they target their message. So that can be difficult for them because obviously it's difficult to move around and do news gathering in those countries. And if people in the United States want to hear what they're being broadcast, is there a website or other place to, to hear it here in the United States just to get an idea? Sure. Uh, you can go on to their website and see what they're broadcasting abroad, but by statute, they are not supposed to broadcast in the United States. But you can hear it online. Yeah, you can hear it online, but there's a kind of anti-propaganda statute that prevents them from sending their message into this country and targeting it at Americans. Why is that, do you think? Not to compete with U.S.-based? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't compete with um, with U.S.-based traditional media. And it, it's also sort of rooted, it has its roots in um, World War II, where they were trying to counter anti-American propaganda during the war. So they always had that statute, and that was always their mission, and they are restricted from broadcasting uh, widely inside the United States. But of course, like every form of media, the internet has really kind of changed things for them and broadened their horizons a little bit. And as you said, it was in World War II, President Franklin Roosevelt was the person who created it or under his administration. And how is it overseen in terms of independence and government control? Is it just funded by the U.S. government and it's supposed to be completely independent? Or is it thought that it's supposed to be somewhat pro-American? Or is it just supposed to be another news outlet with a different audience than most U.S.-based outlets? So they adhere to the same journalistic standards mm. that we in the traditional media do. So they are supposed to be objective, fair, fact-based. In places like Cuba, they're definitely broadcasting an American message. In places like Russia, they're countering Russian disinformation about mm. our country. But they are supposed to stick to, you know, kind of a balanced uh, 
journalistic presentation, because that's part of what the American message is, right? You know, of a free press. So it was kind of a revelation to me when I went in and spoke with them, is that they have a really high ranking of trustworthiness among their audiences. So they like to survey their audiences a lot and test their impact, especially under the new leadership there. And they find that they have Voice of America has about an 85% trustworthy rating, which is something that we in the traditional media would envy, right? Right. There's uh, there's other, a lot of reasons for the distrust in U.S. Uh, news outlets, much of it based on our president's misleading comments, but that's another uh, subject. And of course, you mentioned Amanda Bennett, who is the current leader of Voice of America. She has a long history. She was at the Wall Street Journal winning the Pulitzer Prize. She was editor at the Philadelphia Inquirer for many years and at Bloomberg. So she, her credibility is unmatched, I think. But let's talk about your story that came out this week in the Times, headlined, Troubled by Lapses, Government's Voice to the World Braces for New Trump Management. Tell us what that is about. It's basically that there's Trump administration voices being put into Voice of America. One of them I know from Breitbart, which we know is a credibility lacking outlet with its own voice, necessarily of America, but of pro-Trump standards and other other right-wing abilities. And you mentioned that there was some examples of things that have already been broadcast that seem to be slanted or even outright false. But what's the story in terms of what's occurring with Trump's administration and how it's affecting Voice of America and where things might be headed? Probably the thing that most folks have heard about is a problem that happened earlier this year. This came to light only in October, but it actually happened in May of this year. On TV Marti, there was a broadcast, again, aimed at Cuba, which had a segment on um, a so-called investigation on George Soros, the Democratic financier and philanthropist, big donor to pro-democracy organizations in Eastern Europe in particular, since he is of Hungarian descent. And this broadcast was pretty inflammatory and uh, really maligned him. A lot of unsubstantiated stuff, a lot of conspiracy theories calling him um, a non-practicing Jew, a flexible moral, saying that, you know, his money was used to destabilize countries in Latin America, that um, he was the architect of the 2008 financial crisis. A lot of really wild and unsubstantiated and false claims about him. This because we don't hear TV or see TV Marti or hear Radio Marti, um, in the United States, this took a while to come to light, but it did come to light after the pipe bomb was found at George Soros' house in New York in October of this year, and that created a real firestorm. Nobody could understand how this got on the air. Obviously, U.S. government-funded broadcaster into Cuba, you know, peddling in these conspiracy theories and using as a source an organization called Judicial Watch, which is a conservative activist right. group whose so-called investigations target Democrats. Yeah, and they have a kind of a misleading name, Judicial Watch, makes them sound very above board and, and independent when obviously they do have a conservative bent. And it's interesting because, as you know, Soros is often uh, deemed uh, far left in a negative way by many of his conservative critics. He definitely is a target of the right. And when you have an outlet like Voice of America or TV Marti, which is linked to that, using such slanted and, and opinionated comments, and as you put it, not factual, how does that hurt the image of, like you said, one of the most trusted news outlets in the world and probably the most trusted coming out of the United States? Yeah, it was it really dinged their reputation because, as you said, George Soros is a real boogeyman of the far right and of the wild conspiracy theorists. I mean, if you could go on 
Alex Jones's InfoWars show. You can hear him talk about George Soros all day long. Oh, Having yeah. interviewed him, he wound up about him for close to an hour. There's just he's just a perfect target for all kinds of really insane theorizing. So the idea that a government-funded American broadcaster that's seen as kind of a beacon of truth into other countries where a free press or truthful press isn't a common thing was really, really damaging. So the question, you know, came, well, God, how did this happen? And what else is going on <laughs> since that's only one of five networks that the U.S. Agency for Global Media operates? So I just started to look around and see what else they were dealing with. You know, it's a big, sprawling organization, they say, you know, they've got 44 different newsrooms. They've got 46 languages that they broadcast in. Imagine trying to enforce ethical standards and practices across all those places all over the world. People who come from, you know, they, they're in-country journalists from a lot of these nations that don't have a tradition of free and independent press. And yet, you know, you have to train all those individuals to cover the news the way Americans are trained to cover it. It's a really big job. And stuff's going to go wrong. And once I started digging, sure enough, stuff had. And you mentioned in your story that one of those working in that Cuba office is Jeffrey Shapiro, who you uh, describe as a former Breitbart news writer who, as you put it, played a prominent role in a politically charged battle over the agency's direction. And, of course, he was linked to Steve Bannon, who was a former the Breitbart leader and was a key Trump aide and had great influence in both Trump's actions and, of course, in Breitbart's actions, and obviously connections to Shapiro, who one would think had something to do with the Soros story. But what is the link there, and, and how, how much of an impact has that had? So that was a really interesting situation. I couldn't determine for sure that Jeffrey Shapiro had a role in mm -hmm. the Soros broadcast. I think that might have originated with something else. Right now, they're just completing an investigation into how that happened. They've got a couple of investigations going at the moment. One, which is about to wrap up and it'll be released, the results of it will be released in early January. Just figuring out how the heck did this happen? Who ordered this? Whose idea was this? Who played a role, etc. Et so far, they've suspended or put on administrative leave for federal employees and fired two contractors who they deemed to play a role in this whole broadcast. It was a multi-part broadcast. Shapiro, though, was away at the time that this was happening. He's a judge advocate in the Army, so he was off on leave. It's not clear, you know, what his role was. But earlier in the year, he allied himself with a guy who used to be the interim director of the Office of Cuba Broadcasting. And they tried to pull off what people inside the organization described to me as a coup. Um, they kind of set themselves up as pro-Trump conservatives who could take the organization in a different direction. And they tried to unseat the current leadership, which have stronger journalistic backgrounds and more traditional media backgrounds. So that was a really big fracas that didn't get a super wide attention. There was a little murmuring about it, but once they started to talk with people about it, it was quite a big upheaval at the time. And of course, Trump has indicated he wants what he calls a worldwide network to show the world the way we really are great. As you pointed out in your story, <laughs> he tweeted that last month. Tweet. Uh, yeah. So he wants to, it seems like he Maybe he didn't even know about Voice of America, but now he probably wants to use that as to try to have some influence 
And you mentioned that there is a possible change at the top with a new leader, which would be Michael Pack, who is being nominated as chief executive of the Global Government Media Agency. Is that the position that Amanda Bennett now operates? Uh, No, the job that he is in line for would be the job that's right now occupied by John Lansing, who used to be, he's the CEO of the broader agency, the broadcast Board of Governors or the, as their new name is, the U.S. uh, Agency for Global Media. He's the CEO of that. And then Amanda Bennett, who is the director of VOA, worked under him. Okay. But yeah, so his job is presidentially appointed and Trump's nominee, as you say, is Michael Pack, who's a conservative documentary filmmaker. He's worked on a couple of films with um, Steve Bannon over at Breitbart. He used to be president of the Claremont Institute, which is a conservative think tank. Oh, yeah. He, you know, and he has uh, written pretty forcefully about how the documentary film industry is really sort of occupied and being squelched by liberals and liberal thinking because all of the funding and the schools and the and the individuals who do the filmmaking are all liberal. So he's quite firmly in the. Bannon Camp. He operates out of his house in uh, Chevy Chase doing conservative films, which is a Washington suburb, as you know. And so I looked into his background and he mentions that he attended Yale, UC Berkeley, and studied film at New York University, but he didn't graduate from any of those places. A couple of them he was just there for a few months, but he speaks quite um, authoritatively about the documentary, liberal documentary industrial complex. And he would not seem to have much experience overseeing broadcast or international coverage or or coverage to uh, other countries, position that would seem to be something that would be required for a job like this, or at least some some kind of knowledge or experience. And as you... Yeah, you know... it was kind of interesting. There was, you know, looking into his background, he used to be at the, he had the top TV production job at the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And I thought, gosh, what is that? You know, and that was during the George W. Bush era. But then I found some of our coverage from the past in which he ended up leaving his job because he had taken a film contract at the same time he was running this and it was seen as a kind of conflict of interest. And so he opted to keep the film contract and leave the job. But there was also, at that time, within the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, there was also a, a sort of dust up over the ideological direction that the organization would take. So these kinds of fights seem to be a feature of this gen history. And I know that, um, I don't know if you had much to do with a certain Bannon-supported documentary, Clinton Cash, which was based on the same book, which had many mistakes and inaccuracies about the Clinton Foundation. And I know I when I went to do a review of it and did some research on it, there were many inconsistencies and inaccuracies in it that one would think if he's involved in, I don't know if he was involved in that one, but that was a Bannon-backed documentary. And one would think if he's involved in Bannon-related projects, and Bannon and, and Breitbart, of course, have a history of slanted and even outright inaccurate products, that anything related to that would be questionable, I would imagine, to his background. The films that he worked with Bannon on were a little bit more benign. There was one on uh, Admiral Rickover, you know, the nuclear submarine mm. commander. They were less controversial topics, at least on their face. I did not watch the film, but I did look up which ones he had collaborated with Bannon on just to see what the content was and to see if they were political in nature. 
and um, he didn't participate in the Clinton cash one. You also had mentioned in your story that there was another issue involving the Mandarin language section of Voice of America and a billionaire Chinese exile who was known for making, as, yeah. as you wrote, unsubstantiated charges against Beijing and had been promised uh, live uh, airspace. What occurred in that situation? Yeah, that was a pretty crazy situation. So this was a long and involved story that, you know, we kind of nodded to in the piece but you know, that, uh, that I did, but it was a really involved piece. Essentially, just to put in a nutshell, the head of the Mandarin language section at VOA had offered Guo Wengi, who is billionaire Chinese exile, who is obviously anti-Chinese government, has made some unsubstantiated and actually some pretty wild claims against the Chinese government and the Chinese officials and their families. So the woman who was the head of the Mandarin language section had promised him a three-hour live interview. This was a tough and really tricky format for a gent like this because, as the BBC had found out, in a previous interview with him, which they never did end up using, he does tend to make a lot of wild charges and it's better to tape them so that you can check that stuff and, uh. you know, and see whether any of these claims hold water. So the live format was problematic from the beginning. But what happened was as soon as he agreed to this and struck this deal with the Mandarin language service, they started to promote the coming broadcast. The Chinese government went nuts. They don't have a light touch when it comes to the press and so they really went after VOA journalists that they could, you know, try to intimidate who were in there kind of, I don't know if they were in China directly, but they were Chinese speaking. They appealed to the leadership of VOA, including Amanda Bennett, trying to stop this broadcast before it would happen. And they exerted so much pressure that it became an issue. You're not going to bow to the Chinese government on something like, you know, live journalism. So especially if you're an American organization that's projecting American values abroad. So they went ahead with a portion of it. But I think they got to the point where, you know, you don't want to have this guy making these sorts of claims. So there was a lot of back and forth. And what happened was halfway through what was supposed to be this three-hour broadcast, they ended up almost literally pulling the plug. So it was a real debacle. After that happened, an angry Guo Wengi then said there are Chinese spies inside of VOA. The editor who had done this negotiating and was you know, running this broadcast from VOA, she ended up upset. She said that, that you know they had knuckled under at VOA to, to Chinese government pressure. Hmm. It was really a mess. So they ended up doing a 19-month investigation, trying to figure out which of these claims were true, how did this all happen, how did this, what was really a really unprofessional situation unfold. And at the end, they, they suspended the editor from the Mandarin service and one other individual, and then they fired her. There were a few other disciplinary actions. It was really an embarrassing black eye all around. It sounded like they investigated it in the best and most thorough way they could, but it took forever. And in the meantime, just to make things more crazy and, you know, kind of jaw-dropping, the editor who had been suspended with pay while this investigation proceeded ended up herself making a film with Steve Bannon. So it was just really making a wild what with Steve situation. A film. Oh she appeared gosh. in a film 
called Trump at War about all the forces allied against Trump progress that Bannon made earlier this year. So she was alongside folks like Sebastian Gorka and Corey Lewandowski sure. and Eric Prince all appearing in this film. That was a, uh, an interesting twist as well. So she's fighting her dismissal. She thinks that, you know, at the behest of the Chinese government that her freedom of the press was infringed upon. VOA says, no, this was an administrative matter and this was insubordination by an employee determined to give a platform to someone who should never have been put on live media. So that's the long version of the story, Joe. Sorry to take so much of your time with that one. It's good to have the information. You have an investigation on that story. You have one on Soros. How many internal investigations is Voice of America having to deal with? Well, it was interesting because I, I did put that question to Amanda Bennett and bless her. She said, I, I, I'm hoping that we've kind of you know, gone through this because you and I haven't touched on this yet, but the story today also talks about the Hauser language section where in October they dismissed 15 staffers who were involved in a bribery scandal with a Nigerian government official. Oh, let's go into that one. And I should point out the way that I learned about this wasn't somebody, you know, calling me in the middle of the night or sending me uh, a note on Signal or WhatsApp or anything like that. The organization under Amanda Bennett, and I really have to give credit where credit is due, is extremely open and transparent about the fact that these things occurred and they have investigated them and they're publishing the results. And that's quite impressive. This isn't something that they tried to keep under wraps. So what happened in this instance, I think this was also about a year ago, a Nigerian government official, best as we can determine, the way VOA puts it, was a, an official from the coverage area of the Hausa Language Service, which is primarily Nigeria, mm-hmm. was in Washington and delivered what is called in Nigeria a brown envelope, which uh, was cash to staffers in the Hausa language section. This is very common in typical practice in a place like Nigeria. This mm-hmm. is another reason why VOA broadcasts into places like Nigeria and works on press freedom issues in those countries because it's quite common there for politicians to deliver cash to journalists in exchange for favorable coverage. Yeah, so I know Nigeria what... has long been determined to be one of the most corrupt countries, Lagos, the capital as well, and one of the most polluted. It's industry and... I'll quickly go off for one minute. My father used to be in the shipping business, and he was once in Lagos trying to discuss a deal to ship some oil, and they wouldn't let him leave for several weeks. He couldn't get a visa out of the country because they were trying to bribe him to approve the deal that he didn't want to approve because it wasn't a good deal. Eventually, he was allowed to leave. It was never anything where he was Mm. detained anywhere. He was just not allowed. He was in his hotel room for weeks, not able to leave, and that was you a minor element of their corruption. But So it's not a surprise that they would try bribing reporters, but Go ahead. So apparently this individual who was not named and they couldn't supply me with the name, these things are mm-hmm. personnel matters. So the names are often not released or you, know, you have to get them another way. But so this individual was on a trip to Washington, apparently, and delivered the money to or near the offices of VOA, which anybody who is familiar with um, the the big federal buildings around Washington. It's at Independence Avenue, takes up a whole block, kind of steps from the Capitol and the big hulking 1940 vintage building that was the home of the Social Security Administration. So it's a pretty fortress-like structure. So the idea of somebody delivering this money, you know, to the 
place or nearby is kind of shocking. So they did an investigation once more, figured out, you know, who was involved in this, you know, who took the money, who looked the other way, et cetera, et cetera. So not all 15 of these staffers are not necessarily people who actually took the money. They were maybe people in charge or people who were somehow involved in this. So they were all let go in October. And that was half of that services staff. So quite a sweeping move. So when's the decision on whether Mr. Pack gets appointed and what's sort of the, the way that's done? Is it just an appointment that the president makes or does it have to be approved by Congress or anyone else? Yeah, he'll be Senate confirmed if he is confirmed. Right. So he was nominated back in June. There's been no action taken so far. If you know he isn't nominated in this Congress, which is highly unlikely, obviously. Sure. <laughs> Not happening. He will be renominated likely in January. That's unclear at this point, but he is Trump's nominee for the job. And that would be a position that would be approved by the Senate. Would he be able to replace people under him like Amanda Bennett or others, or are they somewhat protected? No, they're not protected at all. It it would be for John Lansing's job that he'd be confirmed. So he would go, and then he would likely bring in his own people. So Lansing definitely expects to be replaced, um, as does Amanda Bennett over at DOA. And how much of a concern is this among those who work there and those who count on Voice of America, not only for information, but sort of, as the name suggests, the Voice of America, a way for yeah. U.S. news to be properly and fairly sent overseas, not only to get the word out about what's happening here, but to counter, as you said, much of the propaganda and anti-American false reporting that occurs in many other places, including places like Cuba, Nigeria, the others you've mentioned, and I know the story talks about Russia. Is it a concern that there'll be a big upheaval and VOA will really be a shadow of what it was, or is it a wait-and-see attitude in some ways that maybe it won't be so bad? I guess you could always say it's a wait-and-see attitude. I think that the confirmation process will tell us a lot. I think that, you know, we'll we'll get a window into whether or not Republicans find this guy suitably qualified for the job. As you and I know, this particular agency has a long history of political upheaval. It used to have a structure where the actual broadcasting board of governors ran the place. That was extremely chaotic. There was no CEO before. So they each kind of directed, they built systems and they directed people and, and that they liked and they pursued priorities that were theirs individually. And it was so chaotic that it, you know, as Hillary Clinton said about it in 2013, you know, it's practically defunct in its ability to project a message into the world. So there has been a big management restructuring. You know, there is now a CEO who is empowered to actually run the place. But the downside of that is if you get a CEO who isn't going to run it in a way that, you know, conforms with journalistic standards or with a media organization that prides itself on presenting both sides of a story, then you have problems. And, you know, the worry is that, you know, this nominee I mean, the president in his dealings with the mainstream media hasn't really shown himself to be somebody who has a a whole lot of tolerance or or regard or at times even basic respect for the media as a part of our democracy. And so if you have that at the top of the administration, Mm -hmm. what will you have at a place like VOA or the Broadcasting Board of Governors? I mean, that's the worry. And if you don't have freedom there and if you don't have a really solid, firm emphasis on 
First Amendment freedoms, freedom of the press. You got nothing, you know? I mean, if you're not sending that message out into the world, why bother? We bother because it's obviously Trump wants it to be a propaganda tool. Get his word out rather than the word. Probably not a surprise given the way he's treated the press and tried to control things. But as you said, there, there is a history in VOA of it being misused in some ways going back. But it sounds like in recent years that had been really corrected and it had really gotten a new image, as you said, one of the most trusted news outlets. And people people like Amanda Bennett and others at the top, keeping it a real yeah. source. So it's not unusual that it would try to be misused because that could have happened probably in the past, but more recently it had really come to be something respected. Yeah, I think you're right, Joe. I mean, the thing that was hopeful there was that it was beginning to function like a media organization. Yeah. You know, it had someone, you know, who was coordinating, who was a manager, who had newsroom, you know, enormous newsroom experience, running the place like a media organization organization rather than as a series of competing systems or, you know, um, neglecting people. There, there are um, studies done, you know, both within the government and outside by this organization called the Partnership for Public Service, which, you know, advocates for an effective federal government. And, you know, that agency was always among the lowest on the list when it came to employee morale, faith in leadership, even things like, you know, people would answer this question, I don't feel comfortable reporting instances of ethical lapses or even outright fraud. People weren't comfortable coming forward. There were, and part of it was, who are you going to complain to yeah. when you have, you know, an, a big board of people, all of whom have their own job running this organization? Who do you even turn to? So it was really kind of an extraordinarily dysfunctional place. And now they've brought a lot of rationalization to it. But that rationalization depends on a powerful CEO. And so you get a powerful CEO in who has a different set of priorities. It's really difficult to know what the future holds. And to give people an idea again, what is the budget of VOA and the others? And $800 million. It's $800 million. Is that funded entirely by the yep, government, or yep. is there other outlets? So that's $800 million yep. taxpayer money going to this, what we hope will remain a free and fair press. Yep, fingers crossed. Is there anywhere people can go to vent their concerns as this approval comes forth? Is it simply the Senate or uh, other places for people to speak out to make sure that yeah, I would say, you know, if people have a view on this one way or the other, contacting your senator is always yeah. a good way to go. Especially if they're a Republican senator who might be not wanting to uh, keep it the way it is. But there are obviously others who may not know what's going on with this. You know, they get a lot of people nominated to a lot of posts. And I'm sure Congress and the Senate aren't the greatest background researchers in many cases because they do have so much that if enough people speak out and say, wait a minute, give this another look and here's why, go read Williamson's story and others that are out there and they can get their hands on more information even to say, wait a minute, maybe we shouldn't approve this. But again, as you said, Trump does have a strong base in the Senate and Republicans who have to deal with other things that this could slip by and in reality affect a lot more people than listen to or read New York Times or CNN or any of the other news outlets and many overseas that really get a lot of information. Things could be changed where they either get less news or not as fair and, and balanced news, to coin a phrase, that we hope continues. But that's great. Well, I appreciate your talking to us and we want to thank Elizabeth Williamson for being with us. 
course, New York Times reporter, feature writer. She wrote this great story about Voice of America, which was in Thursday's Times. It's online, of course, at nytimes.com. Just search it out, read it up, and keep an eye on what Voice of America is doing. I appreciate your time uh, being with us. It was a real pleasure, Joe. It's great talking with you. You too. Be well. You too. And that's all for this week's edition of Joe's Media Corner. Thanks for listening to this very important topic, a very important issue. Do what you can to spread the word and let your senators and congressmen know that you care about who runs Voice of America so that true democratic coverage and fair-minded reporting can get beyond our borders to let others know what's really happening here. And of course, as always, we're brought to you by Jiminy's Dog Treats. Jiminy's, it's sustainable cricket protein for your dog, delicious, nutritious, and humane, and fights climate change. Reduce your carbon paw print with Jiminy's at Jiminy's.com, J-I-M-I-N-Y-S.com. And of course, don't forget my book is out, Killing Journalism, How Greed, Laziness, and Donald Trump Are Destroying News and How We Can Save It. It's on at Amazon.com or ask your bookstore to order it. Check it out, Killing Journalism. And thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another edition. Have a great day. Down on the corner.